0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church Podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of May 19th from Pastor Brett Cotrell. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. This week, as we've already kind of noted, uh, this week, this weekend, uh, it's a time of graduation, time of beginnings and endings for a lot of the students in our area. With graduation comes any number of ideas and concepts and ambitions. Things like uh, how to be successful, how to achieve the things you want to set out in front of you, how to accomplish things, how to make your mark, how to change the world, all those things, how to find your heart's desire to make it happen. There will be a number of speeches given on the high school and college campuses and graduation services over the next few days or have already over the last couple weeks, about how you can be successful, how you can have an impact. Believe it or not, as we come to Mark chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 30 this morning, the disciples are in much the same category. These 12 men that are held up in such high esteem throughout church history, men like Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Jude, and others, they're not so different. In fact, they're very much the same as you and I. For the most part, these men, before Jesus arrived, had, you know, they had made their livings. They may not have been the most uh, successful men. They may not have been the, the, the type of people that the world looked at and went, oh, man, that is someone who's got it all. In fact, they probably weren't. They were, by and large, on the lower end of the income scale. They weren't the most educated, the most wealthy men of their day, but they had carved out livings, if you will. They had provided for their families and were making ends meet, so to speak. But as they followed Jesus over the period of two and a half to three years, by the time we get to Mark chapter 9, new things began to open up into their, their hearts. They recognized Jesus as God's Messiah, as God's chosen one. And in their minds, what that meant was coming power. They saw Jesus on a throne in Jerusalem, having led a revolt that would have kicked out the Roman Empire, and they saw in Jesus someone who would lead them and give freedom to the nation of Israel, and they saw themselves as, if you will, along for the ride. And that meant that, among other things, for them, they saw positions of influence and power and opportunity in front of them. Now, I don't mean to paint these guys as a a selfish, power-hungry group. I think perhaps they saw themselves as those who would be able to lead and those who would have influence and those who could do good. I mean, if you have a chance, if you live in a, a nation that's impoverished and you live in a nation that's oppressed and you see yourself with the opportunity to free your people and to lead them to better lives, I think that's what they saw. And yet Jesus had something different for them. I remember several years ago, it's been uh, about 25, 26 years ago, the first time, I think it was 1994, actually, I went to Washington, D.C. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to take a trip to our nation's capital, but I remember my very first time there. And it's a cool place. I'm just going to say it is. You see all those monuments, you see all the buildings, you see all these things, and they are designed and they are built with and they are put in place to make you go Wow. Man, that's what they're designed to do. And you get there, and you can... I don't know how to describe it. There's something in the air in Washington, D.C., and it feels good. It feels like power. It just does. It's attractive. I remember being there for the very first time, and I go, I get why guys want to come here. I get the draw. It's It's attractive. It's magnetic, if you will. The disciples are sensing that in Jesus. There's something magnetic, there's something powerful, and they see a role for him and for themselves. They sense the opportunity to, if you will, be somebody. Somebody besides maybe just a, quote, fisherman. They see someone, they see the opportunity to be successful as the world sees success. And the reality is that is held before us even this morning, whether we are a a, a high school graduate just celebrating that this weekend, or a college student, or even if you've been working for 20 or 30 or 40 years, there is in front of us this draw, this invitation to, if you will, quote, be somebody, to be able to list these accomplishments and have people around us go, wow, that is somebody who has accomplished something, that's somebody who is important. Well, the disciples are right there, and in Mark chapter nine, verse thirty, they are making their way through Galilee. That's just, we're going to begin there. Mark chapter nine, verse thirty. From there, they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he—that's Jesus—did not want anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, "The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed." He will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for they, on the way, they had been discussing with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all. And servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, "Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me." Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, would you give us hearts that would be tender to the workings of your Spirit, Lord? Mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, and may we hear His words this morning clearly in jesus name we pray amen so the setting is the disciples have been traveling with jesus now for two and a half plus years they are uh, getting ready to embark on those last few months of jesus life here on earth they are heading towards jerusalem towards the crucifixion now the disciples don't quite know that but jesus is doing that and he is taking them through a lot of things but now as they work their way from the northern part of galilee around mount hermon uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, as they work their day south, he's teaching them, he's going to take them through these last few weeks and months of lessons before he is crucified. And he's not looking for the public ministry. That stuff is over with. He, you see there in verse 30, 31, he doesn't want anyone else involved. He's quietly trying to work his way towards Jerusalem with his closest disciples to teach them. And he's telling them very plainly, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over and betrayed. And they're going to kill me. But don't worry about it, because on the third day after that, I'm going to rise back from the dead. Now, that's pretty plain, right? If I told you that, you would understand what I was saying. But the disciples weren't getting it. In fact, it says they were confused by what he was telling them. And this is at least the second or third time he's told them very plainly here's what's going to happen. And they don't get it, they're not understanding it. my question would be, why is it? What's so hard to, uh, to uh, understand about that? Well, before we're too hard on, on them missing the plain meaning of Jesus' words, we need to understand something. They had in their minds this concept of who the Messiah was going to be, and it was ingrained in them from the time they were born. That the Messiah was going to be someone who would lead them in a revolt over the Roman Empire, who was going to be a king that would give them freedom. And they had no other frame of reference for what the Messiah was going to be. So when he kept telling them this, they're trying to figure out a way to explain this and figure it out. How can he be killed and still be the Messiah? How can he suffer death and betrayal and still be the the Messiah? It must mean something other than what we think it means or what it sounds like. Now, before, before we get too hard on them, we do the same thing all the time with the words of Scripture. We like, we like to make them sound like something that they other, other than they are. Uh, let, let me take you to a few examples. If we went to the Sermon on the Mount, that's one of the more famous passages in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. Let me read for you some of the verses and things that Jesus said there. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going, I, ooh, I, I don't measure up well there. Maybe we try to look for ways to make it say something other than it actually means. He goes on, he says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and by the way, that would be their form of worship at that point in time. So basically for us, it would be, you're coming to worship on Sunday morning. And there, you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled or made right, if you will, to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, get that. And what he just said: Don't come and sing songs to me when you have offended and hurt your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'm not going to accept your worship until you get right with them. Ouch. That's hard. Sometimes we want to make that say something other than what it says. We can keep on. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The list is on and on. He says things like, someone hurts you, someone persecutes you, do not hate your enemy, but he says instead, love them and pray for them. So I want you to think about the person this morning that most despises you and that you most despise. You have to start praying for them right now. You have to love them. Now, we take these things, and there are many others. If we were to go to, say, for example, the book of James, and I, I say that because I've been in the book of James for the last couple of weeks with a group of guys that we meet on Thursday mornings, and James uh, says this. He, he says things like this in chapter 1. He says... Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. How many of us want to try to find some way to kind of get that one out of there and kind of explain that one away? Chapter 1 of James says this, The rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he'll pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Jesus said, to Matthew back in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you can't serve God and money at the same time. Now, we, again, we have all kinds of ways to explain that away, don't we? You know what the disciples are doing? The same thing that we do. They heard something difficult that Jesus said. They couldn't explain it, so they're trying to figure out some way to make it fit into their already preconceived ideas of how God has to work. And the result is, despite the fact Jesus is telling them something plainly, they aren't understanding it. So he's going to teach them. He comes and he hears them talking and he They get to Capernaum, and they're probably at Peter's house in Capernaum. And they get there, he says, by the way, what were you all discussing and talking about on the way down here? And they don't want to say, because they kind of know it probably wasn't the best thing. You know, students, you ever had that time when mom and dad asked you what you were talking about? And you really don't want to say? Now, those of us who are parents now, guess what would happen when we were younger? the same thing, or you're in class and you say something, the teacher hears you, what would you say? Oh, um, nothing. Jesus calls them and says, what are you guys doing? And he says, oh, oh uh, we're, not, uh, uh, we're not talking about anything. No, 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 it's all right. It's all good here, Jesus. <laughs> he says, uh-huh. <laughs> He's not buying it. So he says, it says, he sets them down and says, okay, he rises what's up. He says, we're, we're going to have a little heart-to-heart session. So he sets them down and he begins to talk with them about what they've been talking about. And they've been arguing about who is going to be the most important, who's the greatest among these 12. Because they anticipate Jesus being in power. They anticipate a throne coming up. They anticipate the Romans being gone. And they anticipate positions of influence and so they're arguing amongst themselves which one of us is the greatest which one of us gets the best position of power who, who of us is going to be in charge of the other ones now earlier in this chapter we saw a few weeks ago that uh, Jesus was uh, on top of a mountain with Peter James and John he took those three separate and they saw him transfigured or transformed into his heavenly glory so it's not hard to imagine that as they're having this conversation uh, down to Capernaum, that Peter, James, and John are going, well, guys, I hate to say, tell this to you, but he took the three of us up there, not the nine of you. Know what that means? It means that we are special. We're important. I mean, it's not hard to imagine that conversation, is it? It's not hard to imagine them going, well, guys... He took us up there. We're, we're important. He, we're clearly on the inner circle here. You guys are going to have to settle for the scraps. And you can imagine how that probably went over. <laughs> so there was this argument about who's most important, who's going to do all this stuff. And you can see this? Well, well, Peter James, John, what happened on that mountain? Well, it was awesome. But he told us we can't talk about it. Well, what was it like? can't tell you. It's only for those of us who are there. (laughs) Jesus says, it's time to have a little sit down. So he does. He sits them down. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. I want to point out a couple things here. Graduates, high school students, college students, those of us who have been working for a while now who are seeing high school as a long ways back in their rearview mirror, let me share something with you this morning. Jesus here doesn't tell them, don't desire to be first. He doesn't tell them, don't be successful. He doesn't tell them, your desire to be great is bad. He says, be great. Seek to be first. Seek to do all these things. Seek to be successful but what he does do is radically redefine what success is. He turns it upside down and puts it on its head, if you will. He, he completely tries to turn the world upside down. These ideas of success and winning, that they had, power, influence, wealth, is it any different today? Don't we define success as some measure of financial stability or even wealth? Don't we, don't we define success as being in power or having access to people who are in power, influencers and decision makers? Don't we define success as uh, uh, having stuff? I mean, I think that's generally the idea behind success in this world for most people. And here's the thing. We're not different than the disciples are. And in fact, we're actually pursuing the exact same things they are. And here's the problem with the Christian worldview and the Christian church. We have so allowed the world's definition of success to invade us that we have turned Jesus' definition upside down. And we're not listening to Him, what He said. We are exactly where the disciples are. You go to a Christian bookstore, look up on Amazon, and you look up Christian books, and you're going to see dozens, if not hundreds of books that tell you how to be successful. And their definitions of success are the world's definition of success. And it's so pervasive, it's so ingrained in us, we don't even realize that we're writing and studying Bible studies that directly defy and contradict Jesus' words. I came across, it's not the first time I've heard it, but I came across a story you knew this week. And I'm sure if I, well, you guys are going to probably recognize some of the names. If I, recognize, if I gave you the name Jesse Duplantis, uh, Creflo Dollar, Ken Copeland, you probably would recognize some of those names. Um, all three of these men in the last three years uh, went out and told their congregations and went online and told their followers that God had told them that they needed to buy brand new $50, $60 million airplanes, private airplanes, private jets. Jesse Duplantis even went so far as to say that if Jesus were around today, he wouldn't be riding no donkey. Well, I'll tell you what, I was even, I, want, I wanted to get away from the computer, I thought lightning was about to strike that. Let me tell you what, these men and others like them aren't preaching the words of Christ. Jesus said, it is not about how much money you have or how successful you are by the world's standards They're openly defying the words of our master. Here is what Jesus says is success. Not planes, not wealth, not high-profile jobs, not anything this world would define as success. Jesus says, he who would be successful will be a servant of all. So graduates, parents, you want to lead each other or you want to be successful in this life, It begins with this. If you want to be successful, you want to be first. Be the servant of all. Now, by the way, success in this world's eyes might be difficult. But let me suggest to you that success in Christ's eyes is even more difficult. Because that that goes against everything we think we're supposed to do. It's ingrained in us, in our culture, to do the exact opposite. It's in our conscience. It's in our hearts. We want to be rich. We want to be powerful. We want this world's definition of success. And it's hard to go the opposite direction. Jesus says, you want to be successful? Make yourself the least important and serve others as if they are the more important ones. Now, to make his point, He sits down a child. And and we get to Mark chapter 10. He's going to have a child as an illustration later on too. But this is a different thing here. He takes a child there in verse 36. He sets them before them and says, whoever receives a child like this receives me. Actually, ultimately receives the father. Now, why does he bring a child there? Because in that culture and day and age, children, quite frankly, were unimportant. We've heard the old adage, better to be seen and not heard. They didn't want want them seen or heard. Children had no value back in those days except for what they might serve you or might bring to you financially one day down the road. Children were, in that society, generally speaking, unimportant. And not only that, but if you were to serve a child the way Jesus talks about here, what's that child going to do for you? That child that Jesus brings in front of the disciples is essentially the illustration of a person, of of an individual, who if you serve them, if you help them, if you do something for them, there's really not much they can do in return for you. In fact, if anything, children kind of expect you to help them out, don't they? It's, It's kind of a given, isn't it? You're six, seven, eight years old, you kind of expect mom and dad to take care of you, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes it's that way when you're 16, 17, too, isn't it? Sometimes it's that way when you're 25 and 26. That's it. (laughs) A child expects mom and dad to take care of them. And, you know, last week was Mother's Day. And so, hey, if the kid's really good once a year, he'll say thanks. So serving a child doesn't necessarily have a lot of clout to it, does it, in this world's eyes. I mean, we value... We value parenthood. We value children perhaps a little more in our society than they did then 2,000 years ago. But in the end, your children expect you to take care of them. And if you don't take care of them, then that's kind of, ooh, there's something wrong there. So Jesus brings this child here, and he says, this is an example in their world of someone who has, for, for lack of a better term, no real value. They can't help you That child is not going to make you somebody important. In political terms, that child can't vote. That child can't make you wealthy. That child just kind of expects you to do for them. Where's the glory in that? And yet Jesus says, you want to be successful. You want to be great. You want to be first? Fantastic. Here's how you do it. Serve somebody like a child like this, who can't do anything for you. Who can't make you more powerful, who can't make you wealthier, who can't stroke your ego, who can't do all those things. That's the people you ought to be serving. You want to be successful? Don't serve the important and the influential, serve the unimportant and the uninfluential. Serve the people who can't further your goals or your desires or your needs. Serve the ones who can't give you political payback or financial benefits. Serve the ones who can't make great speeches and be eloquent about how profound your mentorship was. Serve those students. Serve those people. So, graduates, let me me share something with you this morning. The definition of success that you're going to hear from almost everybody else is contrary to the words of Christ. Who says, if you want to be great, and by the mean, by the way, pursue greatness. But if you want to be great, be the servant of those who cannot serve you back. And that's how you will be great in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus even says a little bit more. He says, Whoever receives a child like this receives me, and whoever receives me doesn't even receive me, he receives the one who sent me. Well, Jesus is essentially telling us this. You want to pursue God? You want to pursue greatness? You want to pursue eternity? Serve one who can't serve you back. Look at the ones who this world will reject, and you love and serve them like they're the most important people in the world, and you will be in the process pursuing God. One thing about the graduation time of year, we get, and there's nothing wrong with this. Please, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with, oh, we did this, this, and this, and this, and we got this award, and we're proud of them. It's, it's, it is proper to acknowledge what students have done to get to this point. We're proud. It's proper to express pride in what someone has accomplished. But there could be a couple things that can happen if we're not careful. One can be that even we as parents and even we as adults, if we're not careful, we can encourage and, and promote the wrong measures of success if we're not careful. Maybe not even intentionally. Second of all, we can sometimes look at the accomplishments of others. Well, Look what they did and look what they've done and look what they've, uh, uh, look, look at their resume, if you will. And sometimes we look at ourselves and go, Well, I don't have all that. And Christ is saying, Who gives a rip? Christ is saying, You want to be great in my kingdom? Have you served others in my name? Have you pursued me by that standard? Now, we're not talking about just being nice to kids, just think like of being nice to kids. I mean, the child's an illustration. The child's child's an example of someone who can't help you back. The standard Jesus is setting in front of us this morning is, will we, as followers of Christ, serve those who can't serve back? Love those who might take our love for granted. Will we put their needs ahead of ours, and will we be the servants of all? Our world often looks for ways to get close to people of power. You've heard the old adage, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. If you want to get close to the Lord, if you want to get close to Christ, if you want to get close to the one who created us and gave us life, if you want close to that power, It's not by great shows of religion. It's not by tithing more than someone else. It's not even by garnering the most attention in church or praying the most eloquent prayers. You want to know God and get close to the Lord. You do it by serving and loving others. The pursuit of God is the pursuit of service. The pursuit of success in the kingdom of God is the pursuit of serving others in Jesus' name and thus pursuing God and that's the challenge before us this morning it turns our world upside down it's the opposite of everything we'll hear on TV and music and the news but it's the words of our master